right now on the tee. The uh, twosome of uh, golf spiritual leader, Humble Howard, and Coach Tim. About to tee off on another episode of Swing Thoughts. It's been a couple of weeks, uh, friends. And hope everyone's been enjoying their summer of golf, uh, the pursuit of this ridiculous game. Coach Tim, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Doing well. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit of nerves on the tee. It's been a couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. I'm breathing. I'm looking around. I'm doing all I need to be ready for today's exciting round. Well, I appreciate that. I had a, I'll tell you about a first tee experience uh, as part of today's journal of golf uh, stuff. Uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of experience, you know, in tournament golf, but this most recent one where I was at the Senior Am, the first tee was so close to the putting green and it was very congested. And so it's one thing that, you know, you, you're nervous. I'm always nervous when they announce my name and then you sort of take that breath and you go and hit the ball. But it was extreme. Ex- um, exaggerated by the fact that every time, and I'm not kidding, by the way, imagine a tee box and about three paces to the right is the putting green. So when they say three, like, honestly, it was, it was, because it's, yeah, you basically walked off the putting green onto the first tee. And when they announce our names, you know, everyone sort of gets quiet for a second. And then when you go and hit it, 30 guys stop and turn. (laughs) So, and, and, because I was one of those guys while I was warming up and I saw sort of the vibe that every time the starter would say, okay, quiet, uh, from uh, Glenn Karen, here's Howard Glassman. I was, like, well, I was sort of looking around and take stock to see what, how much attention people were paying, thinking, oh, they won't be paying attention, but they did. Anyway, I kind of I necked one off there and you know, breathed a sigh of relief. And Anyway, uh, welcome to the show, Tim. Everyone, uh, this program is brought to you, brought to us by TaylorMade, I don't know what we can tell you, but you haven't already figured out by now, this carbon wood driver that everyone wants to look at. I mean, your experience has been like mine. It, it's longer, straighter. It still has twist face technology. Yeah. And I'm seeing guys at my club, Blue Springs, are, are loving it. Um, a guy who I started coaching yesterday, uh, I said, oh, you got this stuff. When did you get that? Uh, Tuesday. <laughs> Did he really? That's funny. <laughs> and he said, you know what? He said, he says, I just put it down there and I loved the way it looked and the way it felt. He says, maybe it hits it farther. Don't care. <laughs> just love the way it looks and feels. And that is such a key thing. And that's a lot of the feedback that I, that I get with this club. It just, it looks right. It feels right. And that inspires good swings. That's right for better energy transfer and more ball speed. Learn more at the learn more about this and the latest TaylorMade products. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. I did that the other day. I did a little. I haven't done it for a while. Um, I just sprayed some foot powder on my irons and my driver. Just wanted oh, to cool. look at um, yeah where I was hitting it on the face. And I should tell you, I had probably five drives with the foot spray. And even and I'm this is uh not a I'm trying to do this without you know being a braggadocious a hole but I was really surprised by how little and I was trying to hit it all over the face 
I was trying to hit some ones on the heel or feel like I was, and I was trying to feel what it felt like to hit it on the toe. But every time I'd look down, it was sort of nearish the center, which again is more about the technology than the technique. Yeah, but it, but it was a good experiment. A Pardon me. Of both there. <laughs> no, I hit it. I mean, I hit it okay. But my point about the club is, I, I, it, it doesn't move around a lot. Anyway, it's a good thing to do. And don't forget the TP5 and TP5X, TP5X. These are the golf balls trusted by uh, all kinds of players, live and non-live players alike. <laughs> McElroy, Johnson, Morikawa, Glassman, O'Connor. You know, we haven't Big been names. <laughs> we, we we haven't been approached yet by Live Golf, but you know, I have a price. <laughs> well, apparently John Daly had a price that they were not willing to pay. What were that they what, what what is that? What was the number John oh, threw out? Yesterday in uh, golf world that that John Daly practically begged Greg <laughs> Dorn. <laughs> That's Come great. On, can I please, please? Let me play. Now we don't want Santa Claus on the <laughs> <laughs> Um, they offered uh, the store. There's a whole bunch of live stuff. I've written down a few that I wanted to discuss with uh, you for our show today. But one of the ones uh, earlier in the week was the number they threw at Tiger. <laughs> yeah, more than the gross national product of Denmark. $800 million. How do you... Listen, He's he is the GOAT for saying yeah. no to that. I don't care how... And I talked about this a little bit with Freddie on the Humble and Fred show. I said, I don't know how much... I know he already has a billion... Give or take, but I don't care how much money you have. <laughs> how do you turn that down? Uh, I, I guess if you're already if if you've already set your uh, your family up for generations, yeah, maybe you don't need to accept eight hundred million. It just creates more work for your accountant. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know really. <laughs> what, what, what does he need to do? He needs to improve the infinity pool. No, you know, I get does it. Does he need to add a? I don't even know if Tiger's a car guy. They uh, they offered got all a, the video games. He <laughs> the, needs. They offered uh, the deal. They offered daily. Apparently, was free parking at the Walmart for his uh, RV <laughs> at the uh, Riyadh Perfect. Walmart. Yeah. Uh, so Tiger and there's a and when we get into the I want to finish with uh, before we get into the bones of the program. Uh, Jonathan Wong Apparel. If you're watching this on. Uh, Tim's YouTube channel. Tim's wearing one of the shirts. I'll tell you the new stuff we got. I've got a couple of new polos that are already my favorite. I'm not wearing one now because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working here. But um, you look great in yours. And uh, they're, yeah, ni- they're really nice product. Um, yeah, this is, this is one of my favorites. It's a, it's a fairway in green. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's got, it's got the whale tail thingy. I love it. I'm not sure what that meant. The whale tail? whale tail? You mean the what? Those are little pictures of whale tail. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. See. Yeah. See. The uh, well. right. That looks great. JWApparelInc.com is where you find out about all the uh, different brand names, including that one. And our friends at Narrow Peak Pro. Right. Thank you. <laughs> so I've, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done this. Exactly. I know, you know, we've got to get a few practice swings on this first tee. Before yeah, I'm control. sorry, I've already hit a couple off the heel. Uh, NeuroPeak Pro is precision breathing, heart rate variability, and brain performance. Uh, a company that trains athletes, business, and medical professionals. And us, um, NeuroPeakPro.com, perform better through more intentional breathing. Thank you. 
All right. Hey, I wanted before we get too far into this, um, your thoughts on the passing of Vin Scully. You know, were you a fan at all of uh, of Mr. Scully? Uh, apparently, he was Mr. Dodgers, um, and quite the user of words. Quite the user of words. What a uh, what a great tribute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again, talked about it a little bit yesterday with Freddie. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Vin was a great broadcaster. And the only thing I would tell you that he did with, that was very unique is in the baseball booth, traditionally you have the guy that's calling the play, and then you've got the color analyst. And in baseball, that guy, that second guy, helps fill in the story over the three-and-a-half-hour broadcast. Well, right. Vin Scully did all of that on his own. 162 games plus training camp, spring training, for millions of years. That guy sat in the booth and told stories and kept the play-by-play going and filled in all that analysis by himself. And that uh, that sort of says it all about what a great broadcaster he was. Seriously, I didn't know that. I guess that tells how deep of a baseball fan I am. Not. Um, but, wow. you got to imagine how utterly consumed by the game he was and the amount of research and reading and just talking to people he must have done to have that much material to draw upon. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I just being around the game, but uh, as far as his golf broadcasting, I know I don't really have an icon. Did he do some of it? I don't really know. I don't, I don't, I don't think Vin was. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Then I won't embarrass myself going, I'm sure there were many great calls that Vin did. Uh, so uh, do you want to start? I, I mean, I, I want to come back to Sarnia. There's a couple things I want to touch on, actually. I have three in general about some personal stories and some disappointments and some things that we can share with the audience. I think will be a, uh, instructive, uh, whatever. But I... Um, so Sarnia is known as the... Not the birthplace, but Mike Weird lived near there. Yeah. And so Sarnia is worth talking about because the Ontario senior. Well, so I want to get back to that. Yeah. I just wanted to set it up for our folks so they knew why we were talking. Well, because I thought, I, okay, again, I'm, I'm a little rusty, but I thought when I was telling the story about the first tee at the senior M in Sarnia, oh. I wanted to get back to that tournament, which has happened in the time since we've recorded. But if I didn't make that clear, and there's every possibility I didn't. Um, I apologize. So uh, I want to get back to that tournament. But first, I want to talk a little bit about this Live Golf Series because it's part of the world of golf. You and I are, you know, doing a golf podcast uh, of sorts. And I I think we should have a a bit of a discussion about it. I know it's been bubbling under, you know, about three months ago, again, on uh, the show with Freddie, I said to him, there's this big story that's happening in the world of golf. Well, a couple of days ago, I said to him, Fred, this is going to be one of the biggest sports stories of the year, mm-hmm. if not the biggest for many years, because after a half century, 50 plus years of the PGA Tour being run in a certain fashion and manner, that's about to change. Already has changed because of the disruption of the Live Tour. But there's been a couple of developments, and I'm just wondering... Um, you know, what's your latest take on it? And then we can talk about this lawsuit that was just filed, I believe, yesterday. But it's being or it's being filed uh, next week in California. But anyway, what are your thoughts about Live as it's, ha- as it's developed and more guys have gone over? 
And uh, where do you stand now? Well, I still, I'm not a fan of it at all. Um, I saw this week that uh, they'd applied to get world ranking points. And Golf Digest did a, a really good piece on why it's pretty well impossible. Because it's not inclusive, it's not open. You know, anyone really could make it onto the PGA Tour if they worked their way through, you know, various tours and qualifying. But that's, for that one example, that's impossible on the Live Tour. In fact, you know, kind of, you're, you're, you're I guess, invited slash hired by the Live Tour. So they won't get world ranking points. There's, there's that. There's that. Uh, in terms of the lawsuit, well, just just fight. pause for a second, because I, I mean, yeah. we I, I want to uh, delve into that ranking points thing, because I sure. brought it up a few shows ago and and I and I saw that and I still believe what you said is true. Um, one of the barriers. Initially, I and I and I again, I brought it up because I read that that one of the barriers for these guys going forward with the majors was that they weren't where that their world ranking was going to start to, to dissipate mm-hmm. as, as, cause as every week goes by, either you yeah. rise or fall and it, not to get into it. It's a rolling two year average, this official world golf ranking. You can go look it up. It's fascinating. But I, so now the, the new story is that live has applied to to this body and and apparently Tim even if they were um, um, granted approval it's the the approval process can take a couple of years but as I yeah. said a couple of months ago there are fifty four hold tournaments there are exhibition matches uh, according yeah. to the OWGR or whatever they there's no cut and it's not even the part about being invited or not because there are PGA Tour tournaments World Golf tournaments that are invitation only no cut events. And and they're sort of a so that criteria about being invited that has already been sort of figured out on the PGA tour, but the real problem is the no cut part. That then yeah. that's why these guys are going to go play the Asian tour to get some ranking points theoretically. Oh yeah, Reed, Reed, I saw that with Reed. Right. Which is weird because a lot of these guys were saying, oh, I'm going to I want to play less golf. I want to be more time with my family. I I don't want to play as many events. Meanwhile, next year, they're going to play 14 events plus the majors for some of them. Plus, if they have to go to the Asian tour, they're going to end up playing as many or more tournaments as they would have on the PGA tour. My bottom line is I just wish they'd say, hey, I went for the money. (laughs) I know. I I just went for the money because I'd I'd respect that. Don't tell me you're making the game better. Just te- you I just know. went for the money. Yeah, exactly. The, the talking points they just exhaust them within the first couple of questions. Uh, yeah, Charles Howell the third, um, which I wonder related to Thurston Howell. Anyways, couldn't help it. Um, <laughs> uh, um, you know, just just to say oh, it's not about the money. I mean, like <laughs> that's me smacking my forehead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really. The, the, that's the part. It's the incredulity, if you will, of, of, of what they say and how it doesn't match up. That, that's the stuff that just, like, just drives me crazy. Now, you know, I, again, not to contradict ourselves or myself, oh, these no, guys yeah. have a beef with the PGA Tour. If you, I'm, I'm looking at this Wall Street Journal article now, and the headline is Phil Mickelson and 10 other live golfers file antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour. Yeah. 
there is a case to be made. And what they're trying to do is sue over being suspended. And three of them, I think uh, a couple of the guys could be Taylor Gooch that are that would be eligible for the FedEx Cup playoffs. And not to get too convoluted that yep. start next week. They're trying to get a temporary restraining order ahead of, uh, you know, a, a court battle that could take years. They're saying, hey, in the meantime, could there be a restraining order that allows these three players? I think Taylor Gooch is one of them to play in the playoffs. And again, not to contradict myself, because I, I'm not for the format. I don't find the, the golf coverage very entertaining, but it doesn't mean it's not going to be someday. And it doesn't mean that the PGA Tour didn't need to make some changes. And if you go into the – again, I, I, I just read it a little bit this morning in, prep, in preparation for the show. But if you go into it, there's a lot of things these guys have been feeling and have been thinking about for a while. And this – you know, it's like the you know, nature abhors a vacuum. And so the live organization – has come in to fill this void because, it, it yes, it's for the money, but it's also these guys have had some beefs going on with this tour for some time. I don't know if that is clear oh, I, or... I, no, I totally get that. Um, yeah, I mean, you can even... I don't know. There's something that, that sticks, obviously, in Mickelson's craw about his digital rights. I just use that as, as an example. Of, yeah. You work with any within any organization... There's going to be some issues you have, and so these are these are coming up. Um, what I find is interesting is that I, I do think that disruption—it's a word you used a couple podcasts ago—is a healthy thing. It's good to be examining what are we doing rather than we always do it this way. Um, and to return to a, a theme we explored again a few podcasts ago is that yeah, PG Tour can get kind of dry. You know, four rounds, metal play, you know, it, it kind of it kind of drones on every once in a while. So the idea of what Liv is doing with team golf, even though the names are so... Are yeah, silly, super hokey, like a, I know. Sounds like a boys club with a, with a, a tree fort. But, yeah. Um, maybe some of that stuff is going to shake out. Again, you know, we talked about when the WHL, was that late 70s? Early 70s. Bobby Hull yeah, signed a contract 70s. to go to... Uh, I can't. Was it? I, I God. I wish I even know the end of that. Jets, it, million the mill. Yeah, was it? Was the Jets? Yeah. So he went to the Jets yeah, the for a million. Jets. And so you could even look back, even at the. So you had the, um, you know, the NFL for decades was the sports organization in the states for football. Along comes the American Football League. They merge. Now you have the AFC, the NFC. You know, they've merged some things. So I, I see I see yeah. this ultimately could be, you know, I'm hoping it can be a good thing, you know, over time. But there's still some things that just stick in my craw. And I think that the um, the um, this, some of the media organizations are really stepping up to the plate, if you will, uh, with some solid coverage. And one, there was one in Sports Illustrated this week. It was saying that um, the viewership, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but over time, 
the viewers are dropping in terms of watching PGA Tour yeah. on TV. The, the demographics are... Uh, and the demographic uh, yeah. is going, you know, plus 65 and the younger ones. Okay. So, I don't know, you have a comment on that well, one? Well, I have a comment about nine things uh, ago that you said about the WHA and the, and the football. <laughs> and, and the thing about... the And I've, again, I've used that analogy, but where it doesn't really hold up is those organizations, they were basically playing the same game. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Yes, the yes. problem with this is it's not the same game. It's such a disruption. And, and that's why I think eventually, and again, kind of catching up to your, later in your points there, which I agree with. Um, I think at some point the live organization is going to have to go to 72-hole tournaments with a cut. They're going to have more than 48 players. They already do. Uh, mm-hmm. Initially, this was going to be a series. But once it's a tour... With, you know, satellite people feeding the... I I think that's what will eventually happen. Because, strangely enough, because of ranking points. And as far as the coverage goes, um, you know, I I saw that same article. For the average golf broadcast, they're very deep in the 55-plus demo, which is fine. And that's why the advertising is all high-end cars and, you know, sort of pretty... Upper wealth middle, management. yeah, wealth management. It's a pretty upper middle class, upper class vibe. But but here's what I had um, occasion to have a conversation with some younger golfers because I played our our regular club championship last weekend, and of course I'm you know paired with you know one round was a 26 year old and a 34 year old, and the 34 year old is a former college golfer. And his perspective on live golf and the kids' perspective were way different than ours. They don't have 50 years of watching tour events. And as you described them, they, they tend to be a bit, you know, I haven't actually, and, I, and I'm a super nerd. I never miss a Sunday afternoon, but I haven't watched a golf event for, since the Open Championship. I, I just haven't been in the mode, and there hasn't been anything that's caught, you know, as, I, I'll watch the playoffs. Anyway, these kids' perspective, especially the, the one that went to college in the States to play golf, he loves the team format. Loves it. Because he's, he's of a world where, you know, the, as you were, where the college team plays, not all the scores count. You, you know, if you're counting, you're, you're, you know, you're, you have to, you're trying to, you know, have a good score for your team. And to listen to them talk about it was way different than you and I talking about it. Totally. Yeah, because most of what us guys focus on is the meritocracy piece about, you know, no cut. Yep, absolutely. You you have to to pay, play for your pay, etc. But the team aspect of it is really amazing. Uh, You know, for five years, I coached the Guelph golf team, and that is the difference maker and that's why these kids you know these super golf nerds when they go to university they want to play team golf because it's so exciting and they bond so much it 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 really is um a a different animal and 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 think about our age you know we're you know between us we're like 180 300 years we're a lot of you but these guys have no yeah, affinity. Yeah, they don't all, yeah. and they're even a little young for the for the to have been, you know for the tiger, uh, you know yeah. years. So to them, 
They've got no allegiance. They certainly don't watch golf on TV. And for them to watch uh, a YouTube channel or go to Live Off, whatever, is no big deal to them. Um, yeah. Well, that's th- really just just quickly. Um, I, I spoke with this with a young fellow, uh, mid twenties, who said that sort of the, the culture of golf misses the boat completely for millennials and younger's younger ones in terms of like the fashion, the vibe, exactly all that stuff. Like you see some of the products that are tailored tailored for these younger players. Um, they're you know. Uh, some of them are pretty uh, vibrant, wild, interesting, uh, pretty cool stuff, really. You know, if I may just jump in, think about this. During the Open Championship, you know, the traditional golf broadcasters were sort of, you know, make not, I don't even want to say making fun, but making note of Dust, uh, uh, J- uh, Justin Thomas and what he was wearing, the hoodies, or the, the narrow yeah. pants. But you know what? The 34-year-old and the 26-year-old, that's what they're wearing. Exactly. And so, and, and think about like, again, if your demos are 55 plus, super deep in 65 plus, along comes this thing. And of course, it's jarring to us. Yeah. But to these two kids, and a lot of kids like them, it's just cool. You know, they yeah. don't care about the weird little uh, boxes on the side. And, you know, all they care about is it's fun and it's loud and it's fast and the, and, and I think, you know, again, I, I, I would be interesting for us to go back three months or whenever we started talking about it and then just to hear the evolution of how it's going to be. It's, go, it's not, or here's what it's not going to do. It's not going away. No, no, it, it won't. And, you know, I just, I just kind of mentioned because it's so silly. Um, remember when Justin Thomas wore those joggers? In, in, I think it was the PGA Championship one round or one tournament. Every time I saw my eyes, it, it was like watching, you know, the anchor on your local TV station gets a, gets a new hairdo. And all you're doing is looking at Ray's hair's different. <laughs> That's right. I, I couldn't stop looking at Justin Thomas's, like, jogger freaking pants. Oh, my God. But um, I don't know. So, so I, I'm going to switch here a 180. Uh, I, I'm going to revert back to what I was talking about media. Uh, there was an amazing piece in Global Golf Post this week by a writer by the name of Patrick Hand. And, you know, some people will say, uh, you know, maybe it's a little unfair, but he did a piece that was amazingly researched on Carl Henkel. And Carl Henkel was a financier for the Nazi party. (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. And so this story is amazing in terms of how it goes through and documents how Carl Henkel was, in essence, sport washing for the Nazis yes. in terms of how, how they got the uh, the Olympic Games and they created the German Open and all this stuff was uh, just positioned so that Germany would look like, you know, a nice country. Yeah, they're not so bad. The was, Germans, one yeah. That was going, yeah. One that was going to um, invade Poland within weeks. Um Anyways, uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting, um, and how it shows how among uh, some of the, the key golf writers like Henry Longhurst at the time, um, and a couple of others, how in essence these guys took it hook, line, and sinker. Well, you know, there's always been social media. It just used to be called something different. It just used to be called, you know, the media. 
Um, and, and, and I want to put this aside now because we want to get to yeah. the part that the people are listening for, which is all the golf wisdom that's going to come dripping out of our silly mouths soon. But I will just finish by saying I, I, I'm even less um, upset, angry, whatever, or astonished by the Saudi involvement because, you know, we're all we're, we're all, you know, hypocrites in you know, in that we use products made in countries that are, you know, the conditions are horrible. But there's 26 or 28 companies that sponsor PGA Tour events. And again, I, I don't love Greg Norman, but he made a good point. They do $40 billion worth of business with all these, all these companies that support the PGA Tour. So even that part of it, yeah, they're a, bad, they're a bunch of bad people, but there are bad people everywhere, including... Here's the only thing I really made me sick last week was, you know, Bryson DeChambeau and, and Norman going on Tucker Carlson. Like, you know, like if I didn't if it wasn't creepy enough, now you're associating with the, you know, the right extreme media in the States. And I don't think that's a, a great look either. But, you know, that's less about golf than it is about politics. Yeah, I know. Exactly. That gives me the creeps. So uh, let's switch gears and talk about some golf stuff, everybody. Here was a transition music. Uh, You said to me on a call the other day, Howard, because sometimes you call me that. You said, I'm playing the best golf of my life. (laughs) Uh, You know, and I said to you, I was happy for you. But as I warned you, I said, remember, you only rent it. You never really own it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a... Golf is a mountain with no top. So I want to know how long this uh, period of of uh, uh, nirvana has uh, been visited upon you. Well, it's just um, I don't think I've ever had a stretch where I shot in the 70s almost every round. Like a horrible round for me lately has been like 82. Like that's like awful. And it's been kind of fun, but it's been very, uh, it's just been kind of simple. Um, It's really, uh, really been fun. My my default, as I've talked about on this show many times, is is through, all through my life, I always had to have a, a plan, you know, a strategy, something that I was going to do. So in particular, I would take something to the first tee that today I would stay connected to my club or I would make sure you know that I did something. And what I've really found this year especially is um, I don't need to remember anything. I don't need to have a grand plan or, or anything. It's more like, um, you know, there's the target. Here's the where what the environment has in front of me say ponds or forests and stuff like that pins cut over here what would be a shot to hit here and then just kind of setting up over the ball and just okay and then in essence allowing that swing to happen and but the thing that i would just sort of conclude that with is just saying i really feel more free in terms of my swing and it's more of a of an allowing it to happen and it's kind of like there's the target I'm just kind of releasing to it but what I'll just say is that it's again it's not 
a, a thing where, oh, I must release myself to the target or anything like that. It's just, here's the shot I want to hit, there's the target, and then, as I say, it's kind of more of, a, of an allowing this thing to happen, and swings just, they feel nice, the dispersion is less, you know, the shots aren't off the wall as much as, as they used to be, so... I'm enjoying it right now. Maybe it comes to an end. In a, <laughs> well, in a, in no, a, in not necessarily. So, but, but right now it's feeling like fun. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say not necessarily, but we all know that, you know, anyone that's golfed for longer than a, a season or two knows that, you know, you, you have periods of time in every year when the game seems easy and there are periods of time when it doesn't. Um, I don't need to tell you that. Um, the reason I wanted you to start with that is because about two weeks ago, I was playing, and I, and I said this to you the other day, you know, I've been playing, you know, over the last four or five years, you know, my handicaps dropped, all blah, blah, blah. But in particular, what I didn't tell you the other day is just about two weeks ago, I was the most confident I've ever been as a tournament player. All right. I... I don't even know how to describe it, but I'd, you know, I'd, I'd uh, finished first in a tournament. I uh, lost in a playoff. Shot 70 in a tournament. Shot 69 the day before. You know, I've had some good results. I've had some, you know, margin. I've had some tournament results this year that were not great. But going into the senior am, I've never felt more confident. I go to the practice round, and I'm playing with a, couple of really good players one of which i've gotten to you know sort of know recently in the last couple months we played a few tournaments together and uh in fact actually i finished uh second in a tournament where he was in my group and he's the, and he finished fourth uh last year at the senior am so he's a really good player and uh as we're heading down the first tee in the practice room i've literally just hit one shot but he's seen me play quite a bit recently and as we're walking to our tee shots in the practice round he says you know what he says you could win this <laughs> And uh, that did it. <laughs> that uh, that pretty much sank it. Not what that. Happened pre- to, what happened in your body when he said that? Um, well, at the moment, I really didn't. I, th- I thought it was a very. I thought it was just being kind. But uh, I also believed that this was the year. You know, I haven't missed the cut in this tournament in five years or something like that. You know, um, or five attempts. And um, I. I only bring that up because that's how good I've been playing. And this, and again, in tournament golf, I've been playing that well. And um, I think what happened to me, and again, I'm, I, I use you as an example, only a, put up a bit of a yellow uh, caution sign, which is when we feel that way, and I've done some research. I talked to some other guys, Charlie and my buddy Marty Chuck from Tour Striker. And everyone has kind of said the same thing. Beware, you know, the, like Marty Chuck, who played university golf with a lot of good players, Brendan Little, and he said the worst he ever played in a tournament is when he felt the best about his game. And I said, well, isn't that the truth? Because I played horribly for two days. Um, to the point where after my first round, friends of mine like you and Chucky, and I had probably a, Somewhere, almost a dozen different people that know me reached out. Are you okay? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how. That's how you know. Pardon me. You need support. 
That's how you know as a tournament player that you've really stunk it up. by. Because usually if I have a good round, I'll get a couple of messages. Maybe you will. Maybe Charles will. But when I really play badly, everyone's like, because <laughs> they're like, are you all right, buddy? <laughs> Do you, you hide all the sharp objects? <laughs> <laughs> I got time. Uh, did, did you put your belt in your trunk? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I, just, I just couldn't describe. I can't describe how poorly I hit the ball and how poorly I played the game for, for a day and a half. I mean, I tried really hard the second day, and I almost made the cut. But I just didn't have it. And um, I guess what I would say by way of sharing this, that, you know, you're never far away from your game turning around. And you're never far away from it also, you know, for one of those rounds showing up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for the last couple of weeks, with the exception of a couple of rounds, sort of closer to my average, I shot even par a couple nights ago, and I shot 76 from the tips a week ago. But generally, my scores have been higher than they have been. I've had four of my highest rounds of the season in the last two weeks. And I guess I just want to say, like, you know, it was very perplexing for me thinking, you know, I have a Rolodex of not only swing cues, but also mental, you know, things that I can draw on. And yet for those, you know, that couple of days, it was a bit rocky out there. And I think I've tried to figure out why and I've journaled about it. But I think it boils down to the fact that I have never been more in my head about how well I thought I was going to do. Um, it, 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 maybe that's the key phrase in my head. Yeah, I was definitely Sorry. in my head, and I was definitely not in the process. And later in the show, I'm going to play. Uh, we're going to play a clip of a of a friend of ours that passed away, and and he talks about just this thing: the idea that if you're looking for results, you have to know where the right place to look for it. And you ha- and it's basically you can't look for the results on the outcome of a swing or a shot or a round, you have to look for them through process, which is what got me to this point. Exactly. And, uh, but I struggled. It was, a, it was a real struggle for a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, it's really been interesting, uh, particularly in working with the Quiet Mind group this year. So four guys, we've been, Nate Robinson and I have been working with them since, I think it's May. And just to observe them and how it's been going in their golf. And, and what I've observed in them is what I've observed in working particularly with uh, facilitating men for 20 years is, and I think this is maybe a key takeaway for our listeners about, about change and, and trying to improve, is that we start, we'll have like an awareness. And it could be, you know, a, what you might call an epiphany, eureka moment, uh, could even just be reading a book. And we see something that's that's different. Oh, wow. And then we start to apply this. And so in golf, let's say we start to to, to, to swing better or, or just something changes. You know, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not too chipping anymore or sculling it or hitting it fat. And so that'll ride along. We'll ride that for a while. And that's pretty and that's pretty cool. But what happens is because we're humans and we have history of the way we behave in the world and the way we respond to the world is what often happens is we start to get dragged back into our old ways. And what you might have 
you know, I think for you, it might have been just close to what you were saying here is that you got caught in your head perhaps again. And instead of just being able to be whatever was working for you before, more in your body, more just relaxed, more process oriented, whatever, I'm just riffing here. But I'm going to come back to that because we're humans and we live just, we just so get stuck in our patterns that it's very easy to fall back into the old ones and then we need the awareness. Oh, I'm doing that thing again. My goodness. And then we can start to break out of it and start to maybe have, you know, things can kind of trend upwards a little bit more. But it, yeah. it, it, that's why you see it on the PGA Tour, guys cycling up and down all the time. Again, because that's just part of being a human. And it's also part of the game. And, and to put this in, in perspective as well, the competitive game, as Bobby Jones said, yeah. is much different than the average game. It really 100%. is. And, totally. you know, you've had a taste of it. But I say respectfully, you know, that 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 there's a there's a few levels up from that. And it's like, wow, man, like like playing with you and Saugeen in a two man event. I'm swinging as freely as I would Saturday morning with my buddies. Totally. And again, and again, I only say that because the it doesn't not that it didn't mean to me as much, but it didn't mean as much. And no, so I, totally I get it. Yeah, absolutely. There's no like you, I don't know. You're playing what twelve tournaments a year and like stuff that's provincial on a national level. That's a lot different than a club C and you know an, an Ontario senior qualifier. It, it so. feels different. And and so as a competitor, I was feeling great about the competitive sort of readiness of my game. And it wasn't. I'm not just talking about my swing. You know, my swing. As we've said a bunch of times on the show, like, yeah, I can hit some good shots. But, you know, I shot in the 60s and not every shot was very good. I mean, there were lots of shots. I shot a couple nights ago. I shot even par and, you know, I made some birdies, but I also made some bogeys. And there was a couple there was one bogey in particular. I hit the ball 210 yards. I smother hooked it so bad off the tee because I really wanted to hit it hard. But I hit such a bad shot and I just sort of went, okay, no big deal. I'll make a bogey here because it was a long par four. But just generally, I was in a, a very good spot, I thought. And, but you're absolutely right. You know, once the tournament started, once I got out there, and it wasn't going like I thought it was going to go, uh, then it was chaos. The, uh, yeah, the, no, I was just going to add. So when you mentioned, I think, Bobby Jones earlier today. Um, so Bobby Jones would talk about after he played in a tournament, he could lose upwards of 20 pounds. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't just from the physical exertion. It was from the level of focus that he had to maintain. And, you know, when you would watch Tiger Woods in his, you know, in his heyday, the, the level of focus, uh, because you talked about how you got caught in, in, in your head. And so for you, you take it up, you know, the, up the levels to maintain that level of, of focus and to stay on your game and in your process takes a lot of work and energy. And that's what the be- best players in the world are able to do. They're able to, to have an awareness of, of their process and when they're getting out of it and how to come back to it. Mm-hmm. And that takes amazing number of reps. Why are they so good? Because they have a higher level of awareness than the rest of us. There was a kid, I, I totally agree, there's a kid, I just saw it as a headline this morning, who started off uh, yesterday's tour event with a quadruple bogey 
on the first hole and shot 67. And I thought to myself, being honest with Howard, I don't think I have that. I can do, you know, I've had some success having a a high, you know, in the tournament that I lost in the playoff. I made a triple bogey on the sixth hole. So I was able to come back from that, but I had 27 holes to do it. Anyway, my point is that kid did it on the first round of a tournament, you know, in front of a bunch of people. And yet he was able to, because of what you just said, you know, there's a way to play golf professionally that, you know, I aspire to, but don't, but quite often fall short of. And that's what a professional golfer does that we don't do. They make a quad on the first hole and then go to the next hole like that never happened. And that's the, that's one of the many things, not just skill wise, but mental toughness wise that separates those guys from, from us. Absolutely. And it takes absolute discipline. Absolutely. Just, so, you know, let, let's just explore that maybe. So maybe he came to the next tee, and I, I can almost guarantee you he went through a process. Oh, yeah. Of, of perhaps just breathing, not talking, and he followed a strategy. And maybe someone said something to him on the tee, or, and he would, like, ignored it or, or, or whatever and just stayed in his process because – that game is there's so many i was talking with a a, a a new client yesterday and we talked about stress and and the effect that has on you and the stress comes in many different forms the stress could be that you just made a quad the stress could be that you have a player who tends to talk a lot and he's annoying the stress could be that there's water on the left side of this whatever the discipline it takes to stay in your process is a lot. So if you, it, it's just hard to do. But that's what the better players in the world are able to do. And when people wonder why, you know, you know, say Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth have been, you know, top of whatever game they're at for years, because they've been doing this stuff since they're like twelve. That's right. Before that, since they were peewees, like, uh, yeah. and, and and that's what I would say. Like I, I, you know, you said twelve. I, I play. Closer to 15 or 20 tournaments a year yeah. between senior rider cups and uh, single day things. But that's I haven't been doing that since I was seven years old. Uh, I've been doing this job, you know, yell, yelling into a microphone since I was 17 years old. So it's very, you know, I, I can have a, a marginal start to a show and, and somehow, you know, it doesn't affect me the same way that, you know, I started off the senior am. And I don't want to get into my round, you know, shot by shot. But I will tell you, there were some swings I made that you would not recognize me. Like, even in the first hole I played, I could tell I was tight. Now, I've been nervous on the first tee before and, you know, made a bogey on the first hole, which is kind of my vibe. You know, I I tended to start slower. But I could tell I, I had like 173 yards to the hole on my third shot. It's a par five. And I didn't even get it to the green. Like, you know, you want to talk about your brain interrupting your natural physical ability. I could throw it to the green from where I was. Exactly. You know, you could, I will say this. You could hand me almost any club in my bag. If you and I were just dicking around, I, get, I guarantee you I would get whatever club you got handed to me, I would get it closer than I hit that shot. I, I just was tight and steering it and grabbing it a hold. And, and, it was, and, I, and I hit that shot and I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know what I felt, but it just wasn't my normal body. It wasn't, it wasn't in my normal tournament body either. Anyway, to, just to put an end to this. So I played the second round and much freer after I spoke to you. And I, I felt fine. I was going to go out and try and make the cut. Because, you know, I remember I've gone from thinking, you know, I, I reasonably thought I could finish in the top ten. I really did. I didn't, you know, the guy who thought I could win, that was, he was being sweet. He was just basically saying, you know, you're, you swing it good enough to win this. And I do. But reasonably, I thought I could go from the top, you know, somewhere in the top 10. Certainly the top 20 is the minimum I thought I was going to do. Oh, there I was after shooting 82, trying to make the cut again. But I tried. I played pretty well the second day. But for a couple of breaks here or there, I was uh, three over with um, five holes to go. And I know from experience what I need to shoot. What I needed to shoot was 75 or better to make the cut because I missed the cut by three. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I was kind of going along okay and really hitting it good the second day. The second day, I was basically back to sort of the level of control, whatever I normally have. But I got kind of a couple of you know bad breaks and yeah. I made a couple of bogeys on the back nine. In fact, I bogeyed four of the last five holes to miss the cut by three. The moral of the story is, it stung for a, a bit. It really did. On the way home, I drove home. <laughs> it's, so, it's so fucking dramatic. I drove home in silence. I know. I totally get for that. For an yeah, hour, until I got to Branford. Because I, uh, I came back that way. Until I got to Branford, I couldn't speak. I didn't even have... Buddy. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even have the uh, radio on. No, and, I, I and I angrily ate Burger King uh, a Whopper and fries. I'm going to make myself suffer by eating <laughs> I did. Burger King. And I ate the fries with no ketchup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> salt. salt. Well, they come salted, thank goodness. Uh, there but, you go. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> silent except for the sound of me chewing and seething. And I was Eddie sad, Golfer. you know. You know, any, any golfer who has golf in his or her soul totally relates. You know, we've all done that that silent, sulking drive. Yeah, I was sad, yeah. sulking. I was kept going over it in my head. Had that happen? I was embarrassed. My ego was bruised. You know, oh, I, yeah, I had to say yeah. goodbye to all these guys I just beat two weeks ago, all sitting around a table, having, the, you know, the guys that make the cut, they're all happy. Sitting around a table, and I walked in to say hi, and they're all kind of waving at you like, see ya, guy who doesn't get to make the cut, you know, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to, I'm not in the club this weekend. No, I have to go home. Oh, well. Um, you know, but what I'll, uh, we could kind of wrap this segment up. Yeah, we're um, going to wrap it up, and then we got a couple of uh, other items before the show ends. Yeah, but now, you see, your game has moved to a different level you became a plus handicap this year uh as you say you know and just you've been shooting you know you've been breaking 70 with more regularity so of course you're going to come into something with whoa this could happen this guy says i could win yeah maybe i could win or at least top 10 and what the but now you've gone through this and now you have this you've gone through this experience which you have learned from so next year when you go into it, or you, you'll have a better sense of what can happen. Yes. And now you can respond to it because it, you've had this experience before. And it's like, so what I'll quickly add is, see, I've been having, I've been flirting with lower scores this year more often than I have before. And I had a round uh, about 
three weeks ago where uh, I made two birdies in a row early in the back. Then I got myself to even par. And the first thing I thought about was, oh, I can't wait to tell Howard about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's like starting and, the story, know, be, telling the story before the story's over. Exactly. And, oh, wow, if I post a 72, that'll be interesting to see what happens to my index. Yeah, the the brain just goes. Um, but what I became aware of, and it, because I've been going, you know, carrying, like, lower scores into the back nine, what I'm aware of, and this is my learning piece, is I get defensive. And I get protective and overthink shots. And anyways, and so that's the learning for me is, 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 and this is why the game is so amazing is that as we're moving through, we're going to, we're going to meet these challenges and we're going to fall back in old behaviors, which, which I do. Again, what everyone does, but how do we learn from that and then respond to it? Mm Mm-hmm. I will tell you, and all of that I agree with. I, I will tell you a quick, uh, I played with a guy in the first two rounds, the only two rounds I played in Sarnia. And he was another, a tall man in pretty decent shape, probably like 6'2", and didn't hit it as far as me and the other guy in my group, who's a very a long-time great player in Ontario named John Zadonnik, who just hammers it. Like, I hit it pretty good but this guy john hit it like i'm telling you very few guys my age and i just being honest hit it 40 by me very few but he did it for yeah, two no, days I totally get that. he did yeah. it for two days to the point where it made me giggle he was so much further than me but the other guy in my group the tall man who hit the ball very nicely shot 73 in the first round never it putted so great and I said to him at one point, just like uh, another tournament I've, I've spoken about, I said, excuse me, you mind if I ask you how old you are? Because I knew he was a bit older than us. He was 68 years old, Tim. And I got to tell you, again, it gave me such a, 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 a thrill to play with him because I'm thinking, I still can do this in six years. Like, there's, I, it's so exciting to think that I can be doing pretty high-level golf, like Lars Melander, our buddy. He, you know, he yeah. shot even part of the last round. I mean, like, the guy still competes. And so that's the best thing about this game is that if you're reasonably in, in good health and in decent shape, you can play it at a pretty high level beyond any other sport. I mean, I played one week with guys that were in their 60s, and then I played the next week in the club championship with kids that were 26 and 33 or 4. Like, there's no other sport like it. Exactly. No, that, that is – I was thinking about that the other day. Is that, like, I'm 65, and, yeah, I'm still able to get it out there. And, uh, you know, get some zip on the ball and play with other guys who, you know, some hit it farther than me or whatever. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is related to um, our awareness around uh, health and fitness these days. And For sure. What, what you need to do to, to, to play at a high level. I mean, yeah, I'm, I didn't see my dad on the floor doing yoga and <laughs> yeah. exercises when uh, – when you know he was in his 40s 50s or 60s no for sure same with my dad um okay i've uh, got a couple of items uh we, we're going to talk about a friend of our show uh someone that you knew much better than i do in a minute or two here but i want to direct everyone to another friend of our show uh carl morris who is a longtime contributor was going to be on the excuse me going to be on the show this week we've rescheduled him um but i happened to upon i think one of my decade guys uh, turned me on to this, my buddy Grant, 
it, it was an, uh, a podcast where Carl's talking to a guy named Dr. Izzy Justice, who I think we should get on the show. Really smart guy. Uh, if you want to know more about Izzy, he's got a company called Gyra Golf, G-Y-R-A golf.com. The guy's a sports neuroscientist. He's a triathlete. Really interesting guy. And, and the whole subject, you, you look for it, it's called the neuroscience of great putting. And why I think you dig it is because it really aligns with the O'Connor, you know, call it the O'Connor Shoemaker, George McNamara uh, uh, world of, of golf outside of yourself. And uh, Dr. Izzy's whole point, and I'm, I'm getting to the point now, because I work a lot on my putting. I work a lot on my short game. I, look, I work a lot on my mechanics of putting, and I work a lot on um, random practice. But... I listened to this podcast, and uh, one of the things that they talked about, Izzy especially, because remember, Carl has uh, written a book, The Lost Art of Great Putting or whatever. But one thing they talked about, Tim, that really made a difference in a tournament I played on the weekend, the club championship, where I, I did okay. I finished 10th. You know, I was basically, my, my, my goal in the club championship is to be low geezer, and I missed being low geezer by one shot. Another buddy of mine who's a very good player. But one of the things they talked about, Tim, is... And this phrase I keep thinking about is called holding the target in your mind. Mm-hmm. Holding the target, not just being aware of it. And we're talking about putting, but it applies a little bit to your pitching and your chipping as well. I haven't tried it with my long game, but here's where I'm getting to the point. This is a good takeaway for you people that are going to play this weekend. What he talked about is how long the, the brain can, can remember where the target is, which is one of the reasons that heads up putting is so popular and so good is because you're seeing the target. But for those of us that don't want to take that step, what he talked about is this. You look at the target as you're going to putt. And you, you find whether it's the blade of grass or a little of a discoloration right or left of the cup, whatever it is, and, and you concentrate on that in your pre-shot routine. And then that's the last thing. And you try and hold that image in your brain as you're putting. And he says, if you're thinking about anything else, stroke, tempo, blah, blah, blah. If you're thinking about anything else, stop. So I tried it for a couple rounds in the club championship, and I've played a little bit since then, in the last couple of days. And I got to tell you, it is the most bizarrely freeing feeling. And it's not a swing tip. It's a, it's a, a mental process tip. Because I can tell you, my, my speed control, just like it is in heads-up putting, has been amazing this last three or four rounds. And I can't even tell you why, except for the only thing I'm thinking of over the ball is that is where is in my brain, I can sort of see that piece of grass or that piece of uh, discoloration right or left of the cup. So Dr. Izzy Justice is his name. And uh, it's worth a listen. Oh, yeah. I I listened to that podcast when it first came out. And... uh, it really intrigued me because it aligns with a lot of things that we've talked about on this show, including the quiet eye. Because mm-hmm. one of the things in the quiet eye is that in putting, you look at the target, find something that fascinates you about that target. You come back to the ball and stay with the ball. But what's happening is is that your your body's taking in this information, all this uncon- all this data unconsciously, and it it figures it out and it releases and you're able to release to that target. Um, I, I see how that totally works. I'll, I do an, an exercise and when I uh, coach people on putting, uh, 
that is very similar to what you just described. And what I'll do is I'll just have them say set up from the whole, you know, five feet or so. And I'll have them look at the target and putt while looking at the target. Mm-hmm. And invariably what I find is that they putt with more freedom. Yeah. And thus the putter just moves with more mom- natural momentum and they just have a freer stroke and it tends to be so better pace, better accuracy. And and so then what happens is is that I'll have them say after they get that experience, come back to putting, but now look at the target, but come back to the ball and I think it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, he you keep it is image in your mind as you putt while looking at the ball. And he's got a great um and so there there's been a couple of uh, appearances by this guy on Carl's uh, podcast. So the the one I listened to uh it was his second appearance. Oh, it, it just okay. came out a couple of weeks ago. But one of the things he talked about was how do you practice to sort of train your focus? And here's this is a cool little thing he did. He said, "Okay, Try this. Like, so look at the, find a place, not because the target's not always the hole, obviously, if you're That's playing correct. a break or whatever. But he said, try this when you're practicing. Find the target that you're going to um, get the ball started on. Come back to your ball. Look up, look around, you know, look at something else outside of the ball. Then come back. And because, because oftentimes we're, we're distracted. And he says, totally. can you f- still find the target in your brain? And mostly I can't. So that's why now I look back at the target. And he's, his point is this. If you're doing this and then you come back to the ball and you're distracted by pace or uh, consequence or whatever, then stop and acquire, hold the target again. And it's interesting because just switching from, uh, you know, a sort of a conscious, st- what stroke am I going to put on this? What energy will I transfer? I can't. Here's the thing. If you've never tried heads up putting, you will it'll blow your mind how good your pace is. I was having this discussion yesterday with somebody. I was saying, you know, like from thirty feet or so, I, I it's remarkable how good your pace is looking at the hole. I'm a Absolutely. little nervous doing it closer to the hole. I don't know why. Um, I know Speed did it for a long time, four and five footers, but this uh, Izzy Justice thing is a nice kind of gap bridging mechanism. But I want people to try it because, Timmy, I'm telling you, like, I've just not my my pace around, you know, the last couple of rounds have just been because we know as golfers, like, you know, some days you're just you can't find the right pace on a green. But uh, yeah, and, and your and your body figures it out in the same way when you're playing catch with someone, you get the ball there every time. It's perfect. Perfect trajectory. Perfect. um it's always perfect distance. In the same way, you know, when you're <laughs> when you're putting, you're coming up to a stop sign. Somehow, our body figures out the right amount of pressure to put on the brake. That's right. So we stop like within inches of that perfect spot. The body and brain. What you, what he's talking about in many ways. There's all kinds of good stuff, but basically, what what I caught on to my bias is what he's what you get rid of when you focus on the target is that conscious mind self-interference. Yes, exactly. And you're allowing that brain and body just to do what they can do. And that really is one of the hardest parts of golf, is just allowing the brain and body 
just allow that to do its thing yeah. as opposed to getting this conscious mind involved, which basically is um, causes self-interference. Well, an interference and it disrupts your natural exactly. ability. And, and, you know, that's a great point you make about a stop sign. You know, if I've got a 12-foot putt on my own golf course, I've probably had it or a, a similar putt hundreds of times. You know, how much really do I need to pay attention to my stroke at that point? And not that I've been putting poorly. I've actually been putting decent. But this little exercise, the last three or four rounds, has just, uh, again, I know you say it all the time, it's just kind of freed me up a little bit. You know, and I'm not saying I, you shouldn't work on your, like I start every golf day, as I will today when I go to the putting green, checking where, you know, checking my alignment. I have a mirror I use. Are my eyes in the spot that I want them? And I do that for about, you know, 10 or 15 putts. And then I put it away. And then I start to work on random, you know, random putts. But this little Dr. Izzy exercise has been great. And, you know, I know we don't often offer a lot of, like, you know, take-homes. But this is a good one for people to to check out. Well, I'll just wrap. Maybe this will be a way to wrap up. Yeah, man. Wrap it up, baby. What I witness all the time when I have people do that specific exercise of putt to the hole while looking at it, you... You compare that to the regular stroke. The regular stroke is generally slower, and it just does have as much pace. It's not vigorous yeah. because they're basically being careful and cautious because they're thinking about it. Yes. When they putt looking at the target, suddenly there's more freedom. The, the putter moves just it, just – it just moves with more momentum. There's better pop on the ball. It sounds better. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. You know, when you get right down to it, they're allowing that accelerating stroke to happen without thinking about accelerating the stroke. It'll yeah. naturally happen. Yeah, that, that is the – I had this experience a few years ago. And this is even before I knew about Sasho McKenzie, who's this Canadian, you know, sports bio, you know, chemist or whatever they're called. And, um, and I was just dicking around with it after seeing Spieth do it. And what you just described is, is it's, it's, there's a, the putter swings, there's an energy transfer when you look at the hole yep. that is different. Because as you just said, you know, you're not thinking about how, you're just thinking about where. You know, it's the free throw line. You're not thinking about the angle of your elbow as it arcs the ball. You're just doing it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up in a second. But first, uh, we want to talk a little bit about... Uh, a gentleman. Now, I, I want you to describe him because I I only know this guy uh, through you, and and uh, you know, take your time. We'll explain who he was, and uh, and then we're gonna play a little clip of him uh, having appeared in our show. I'll set that up in a second. Yeah. Well, I'll start off by saying that in 2017, I went to an extraordinary golf coaches workshop in Palm Springs uh, with uh, Fred Shoemaker and his coaching group, and I met this guy. George McNamara and I just I connected right away and I was so intrigued by his story Um, he was a master PGA professional he'd been teaching for about 50 years and kind of like some other people like Mike Hebron we had on the show he was a guy who taught you know the nuts and bolts of the swing you know here's what you need to do you need to hit this position you need to move this body part like this and anyways we really connected, and he was a, a really good friend of George, uh, uh, sorry, of Fred Shoemaker and that group. And I just, we just, we just really connected, and so we became friends. 
and you know we were fortunate enough to have him on the podcast three times and he was just such a supportive man and and um for every blog i would write he would send me back a note he'd say hey tim way to go uh keep doing what you're doing you're making a difference and through other people who knew uh george i would hear the same things just a man who was always there uh helping others empowering others really helping people grasp their best selves Mm -hmm. and so um unfortunately um a few months ago he wasn't feeling well turned out he had a cancerous tumor on his bladder uh they removed that and then goodness gracious um about I don't know how long a short while later he had a stroke and um, and um, and then as often happens with with um, cancer um, it was something else that got him mm-hmm. he uh, did some water on his lungs and doc just couldn't do anything and so he passed away uh, about two weeks ago and he and, wasn't uh, uh, he wasn't much older than we are I know he was like in his 73. Early, 73 early 70s yeah yeah. Well, like I said, I, I always enjoyed our conversations. Uh, as you say, he's appeared with us three times. Um, the first time is it, was this episode the first time? Episode eighty nine. I believe yes, it was. Okay. Um, and let me just double check that. If you want to hear the full, where did I put it here? Stand by. Yeah, show eighty nine. It was uh, April twentieth, twenty nineteen. That yeah, if we, you want to uh, fast forward to the, it's about the 25th minute of the podcast. And anyway, I just picked out, it's a small clip we're going to play for you, and it's sort of in two parts. Um, the first part is sort of George describing kind of how he sees, uh, you know, the role of a coach, or I think the first part's about process and results. And the second part is him telling a quick story about a guy that was uh, a lifetime slicer. Yeah, I, I don't even know if you have to show someone. I think it, your your job as a coach is to bring out what they have and get them to experience things in a way that there could be certain distinctions. Um, they uh, they feel this, and here's something different. So, you know, my experience is that in the two seconds it takes to swing, very few people have any idea whatsoever what happens in the two seconds. Sure. Basically, basically, they make a swing. They look up at the golf ball, and they make a judgment of the ball. It's either if it's a good shot, they did good. If it's a bad shot, they did bad. I, I own a driving range. I see it every single day. It's simply an outcome. I shouldn't even call it a driving range. It's an outcome center. It's performance <laughs> outcome. People are just looking for outcomes. That's but right. The reality is, out of outcomes, nothing can really happen because outcomes are going to always change. If you're looking for outcomes to change the process, you will spend the rest of your life changing your golf swing. If you're looking for process to change the outcomes, then that's where the learning takes place. No, not at all. I'm not empowering my wisdom at all. So uh, this, by the way, is not a roadmap. And the really cool part about coaching is that I can learn as much from the beginner as as she or he can learn from me. And it's really cool because it's always different. So suppose you've got to start off with a conversation with, let me ask you a question. How do you know you slice? I've been doing it for 15 years. He said, the ball starts to the left, he goes to the right. I said, no, but how do you know you slice? And he got really a little more upset. He, he said, because the divots left. They said, no, H- how do you know you slice? He said, why do you keep asking that question? 
I said, his name was Sam. I said, Sam, have you ever felt the club go away from your body into your body with an open club face? He said, well, no. Well, then you've never really experienced the slice. You know the ball slices, but you haven't experienced. So the lesson was this. We went down to the driving range, and we just hit slices. I asked him to, for the biggest slice he could have. Just slice it as big as you possibly can. The bigger the slice, the better. We were having a good time. And he was hitting these god-awful slices. And towards the end of the lesson, he began to experience the club going out to end. The end of the story is about three weeks later, not with me, on his own. He got rid of the slice on his own. Well, there you go. I- a great guy, and uh, thanks to you. I really enjoyed uh, the times that he was uh, with us. And if you want to go catch up on uh, the full episode, it's episode 89, April of 2019. Isn't that great what he said there about uh, if you're looking for outcomes, you're going to chase this for the rest of your life? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so much wisdom packed into that short little segment. Um yeah, I listened to when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. I listened to all three of the podcasts we had with George on, and I just absorbed uh, so much of of his wisdom. And I, but I love how the fact he talks about it's not him, the all knowing guru who's going to give you all the data on how to do this. Mm-hmm. And and but he stresses all the time it's the student who's amazing. And as the coach, all he's trying to do is create an environment where he can draw them out. And from their own experience, you know, he talked about the slicer. The guy started experience what happens when he slices. The, when he slices, he actually felt what was going on, and he started to gain a greater understanding. And maybe a takeaway, uh, well, not maybe, a great takeaway for our listeners is it's from your own experience. If you're hooking the shit out of it, Feel how it feels to yeah, look it. Absolutely. And that's part of the, the wisdom from George. Um, I, I so, love I, Yeah, he, I feel so grateful for having to got hit to know him for the short while that I did. I, I love that the way he approached that lesson is the way he approached coaching in general, as opposed to being the teacher, the guru, just coaching people. And I love that the, the end of it was that the guy self when i'm i'm sorry i'm a little short on words today self organized coached himself no but that that's what I was he self organized yeah. uh, all george did was have him experience what it feels like to really slice a ball because I, and i and i thought that was an interesting way to approach it because all of us who have all the faults of our golf swing that we have been all working on and our chipping and all these things when something goes awry do we really experience what it was yeah, you might have a theory. You might think, oh, I, 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 I didn't hit, uh, I didn't put enough uh, energy into the sand. The ball didn't do what I wanted to. But you didn't really experience it. It's more in your brain as opposed to your body. And I, and I thought that was really interesting listening to him talk about, you know, sort of taking, bringing out of the student. It starts with that student's awareness, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and what he did for that the, the guy, Sam, he created a an environment where this guy could experience himself in a way that he never has before. Right. The, the, in, the wind-up to that clip is that the guy had been uh, slicing the ball for 15 years, taking lessons for 15 years, and never changing. So when George was going, how do you know you slice? And the guy's exasperated. He has mm-hmm. no idea what George is talking about. 
But George created the environment and the awareness that, oh, am I actually feeling what's going on? Like I know that a, a very common experience, because I've certainly experienced this, you know, hit a, hit a, hit a shot and I was like, what just happened there? It's like, it's like I kind of blacked out. It's like, and, you're, yeah, you know, we all get one unconscious. Minute I'm standing, one minute I'm standing, getting ready to hit the shot. Next thing I know, I'm watching the ball go dead left into the farmer's field. What happened? Yeah. You know? Cause we, again, because it's, I think so much of it is the ego mind is like so craving for a certain result that it's all about looking up and seeing where the ball goes. And hopefully it's headed at our target. And we just get so disconnected so that we don't actually experience what's actually happening. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole other show about our, you know, controlling nature. You know, I'm the worst in that department. I mean, you know, my buddy Paul Henrik was kidding me the other day about how the first time we ever went golfing together, we were loading our clubs onto the cart, and I made a point of saying, oh, I'll be driving. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like... uh, because I have to be driving all the time. I have to be in control all the time. And, control. you know, back to my disappointing results at the Senior Am this year, it came from me wanting to control my golf game so that I would have this outcome, not, not remembering that the reason I had these outcomes is because I allow a certain amount of just freedom yep. uh, through the ball physically, but also the way I think around a golf course. And I will say this, you know, I shot 82, but it could have been 92. You know, you can give up, and I can give up. I'm not any different than anyone else. But uh, back to George and, and that clip. So, you know, uh, again, sorry for our, you know, his, our loss and your loss. And, um, you know, we just have to appreciate. And, and, and I, is this our first, I think our first, uh, like Freddie and I talk about this all the time. There's been a lot of people on the Humble and Fred show over the years that have passed away, just the sheer number of people we've interviewed. But right. I think this is our first in memoriam. I think you're absolutely right. Good, uh, good point there. Yeah. yeah. So no, uh, I don't think that we've had anyone. So all, to yeah. all our friends and family and listeners, I uh, hope you stay well. Good golfing. You know, this sport is so good for that. It brings us all together in a way that, uh, you know, maybe. A lot of other, I, I like to think that it's unique that way, that we have a, a brother or sisterhood, a family feeling with the people that we get to be. You know, we talk pretty intimately with these people about how we feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big difference in, uh, in golf in general and this podcast in particular. Yeah, well, George was the one who essentially led the intervention when I went into oh, golf right. hell yes. about three or four years ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So the thing is, so I would just invite <laughs> listeners to uh, whatever podcast platform you use, you have an ability to uh, search and just put in McNamara and listen to those three episodes because they, um, they were wonderful. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought I like this one too. It was a uh, you know it's our first back after a while. You know it was uh, maybe it wasn't even par, but it was solid. It was it was somewhere. You know I'd say seventy five, seventy six. Not bad. Uh, thank yeah. you very much too. Of course, Taylor made golf, and uh, over the last forty years, uh, Taylor made has been inspired to make a lot of great drivers. All materials eventually reach their limit. So check out the 60-layer carbon face, tailor-made stealth 
For better energy transfer and more ball speed, check it out at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Jonathan Wong, ApparelInc.com and NeuroPeakPro.com for uh, precision breathing and uh, a whole different way to look at how your body can react and get into the zone. O'ConnorGolf.ca, yes? Yep, that's the place to find my blog and even links to the podcasts and all kind of treasure trove of material. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry, was that a lot of effort for you? You're like, ah, there's is a place to go. <laughs> oh, we've been talking to, for an hour and I know, a half. way to undersell it. Way to undersell it. I love it. It's a place, a guy do a thing. And of course, uh, Golf Spiritual Leader can be found uh, at humbleandfredradio.com. Take care, everybody. He knows all the cards. Mighty strictly rhythm, he doesn't want to make it cry all soon.